Hello, everybody. Good to see all of you here today. Welcome, welcome, welcome to every single person that is in the chat. Welcome to everybody that's watching on the rewatch. Welcome to anybody that watches a year from now. I don't care. Welcome to every single one of you. Hello, welcome to the JB Font channel. I am your host, James Fontlory. So good to see all of you here on this beautiful Thursday afternoon. Today is May 4th, 2023. May the 4th be with you. Yeah, I'm one of those people. Anyway, so good to see all of you here. The JB Font channel is available on all major podcast platforms. You know, so go ahead and subscribe to me there. I'm also part of the Revolutionary Blackout Network, so you can find me on the JB Show on Sundays at 1, on Tuesdays at 4 for the RBN Live, and then the Savvy and JB Show on Thursdays at 6. Also, just to let you guys know, thank you so much to all the patrons on Patreon and Coffee, as well as memberships. Uh, thank you so much to all of you. I have to update the list, and I definitely will update the list. I have another person to add on the list. And so I, I apologize to that person. Um, but yeah, I have to add that person on the list. But thank you so very much to everyone who contributes and helps me out. I appreciate it very, very much. Also, just to let everybody know, if you guys would like to, you guys can also subscribe to my Substack. If you guys would like to get email notifications instead of relying on YouTube for the notifications, Thank you so very much to all of you who have, you know, gotten email notifications so far. Uh, this also helps out with getting the word out a little bit more, uh, more efficiently so that you guys are able to know when I'm about to go live. I typically have the emails sent out 15 minutes before I go live. So you have that notice right there. Now, I'm going to say hello to everybody in the chat really quick. And then we'll get into our stories for today. I have a couple and they're really good. So let's go. So we have the quantum alchemist says, can you? No, you shan't. Don't the font. <laughs> so good to see you as well. Terry Connolly coming in saying, good afternoon, fam. All right. <laughs> he says, hi, JB, ready to be fonted. I don't know if you want to be funded by me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> CBC Voter says, happy Thursday, JB. So good to see you, CBC Voter. Welcome, welcome, and welcome. Also, we have Pachico, who is a JB member, coming in saying, yay, JB. Yay, Pachico. Good to see you. All right, we have Optimism of the Will saying, good day, all. All right. Quantum Alchemist says that said YouTube seriously throttles this channel. Eh, probably. I mean, you know, once in a while, uh, hopefully I'll get put out there, you know, on, you know, recommended, you know, home pages. But for now, I'm not yet. So, but hopefully it will happen. So I will look into it. So, and hopefully, I think it's been happening to Savvy's channel. That's why she has been exploding lately, which is great. Uh, so, Hopefully that same thing can happen to me. I'm not sure, but we'll see. Hopefully. Just make sure to like the stream as well as if you're not subscribed, then hey, subscribe. All right. Optimism of the Will says good day all already. We have Sean Miller saying, you're good to see you, Sean. Wadi is coming in saying, hey, everybody. And then Killer Egregor says, hi, JB. Missed you yesterday. Yeah, there was, okay. 
so I did have plans on talking about this, but I was so exhausted. I think one of the reasons why was um, I had they had taken more fluid off me than usual at dialysis, which was kind of crazy because I was like, why am I taking off this much fluid? Because I haven't had this much fluid taken off in a while. But for some reason, I gained a little bit more fluid than what I should have. Well, what I want. Uh, and so because of that, yeah, I was a little bit more exhausted yesterday. And I'm still kind of exhausted today. I should probably start back on tea again. I haven't had tea in a while. Maybe I should do that. But yeah, so that's what happened to me the other day. So I'm making sure that I am live today because I don't want to miss out on a stream, at least for this week. And yeah, so that's also another thing. Oh, by the way, just to let you guys know, if you have not already, um, chapter 11 of Asada Shakur's autobiography is up on my channel. So if you guys have not seen it already, it is up. So make sure to give that a look. And then I'll be getting into uh, Dr. Devon Price's book, Laziness Does Not Exist. I'll be jumping into chapter two, which is going to be really interesting. And so I can't wait to get into that. So be sure to tune in. So when I get into Laziness Does Not Exist by Dr. Devon Price a little bit later this week. So we're going to be talking about that. But thank you so very much. All right. All right. Who else did I say hello to? Oh, wait. Um, see, Optimus Will says RBN has been all over the coolest places. So watch your backs, comrades. Yeah. Yeah. There's, they, you know, we've been out there a lot. So uh, in, in a lot of different places. So it's, it's cool to see that a lot of people are showing, sharing, you know, uh, us like, like that. I appreciate it. Hey, Lucy, blue moon, red wine. Lucy's in the chat. Hello, it's Lucy. Good to see you. All right. Glad to have you in the chat. I got to have you by, by again, by the way. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll DM you, but I, I need to have you on again. Uh, so uh, let me see. Also, Quantum Alchemist says, uh, remember to keep monitoring oxalic and Phyletic acid intake, JB. Unfortunately, tea does contain the former. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, let me check in the Rockfin just to make sure. All right. We're cool on Rockfin. Just making sure. Okay. Now, as far as the stories go today, let me show you what I'm talking about. What you talking about, JB? What you talking about? So, we have the stories, Sudan tug of war. This is going to be a very interesting story that I think that those in a, a lot of us here in the West, especially in the Imperial Corps, we need to pay more attention to what's going on around the world. This is in Sudan. Uh, so I would like to talk about what's going on there, really close to the Horn of Africa, uh, you know, because we all know that imperialism is, is a bastard. So you know, we're going to try to tie this in. So I want to talk about that. And then we're also going to be talking about Uber and Lyft strike. What's going on in my city, in Orlando? So, yeah, we're going to be talking about that. And that's actually going to be a very interesting story. And so, yeah, let's get into it. So, Sudan. Sudan is a country in Africa, as many of you all know. But something has been happening lately that a lot of people aren't really aware of. And I'm going to share this article with you guys really quick. 
And a lot of people aren't talking about what's going on in Sudan. But this is important. And I'll show you. You guys will read the story why. So this is out of the Black Agenda Report. If you guys have not uh, started getting some of your news from the Black Agenda Report, I actually do highly recommend it. Uh, people like Margaret Kimberly and Ajumo Baraka, people like them are also part of the Black Agenda Report. They also do write articles, things like that. Uh, this is an article by Dr. Adwahab uh, Sheikh uh, Abdissamad. I hope I pronounced this name correctly, their name correctly. If I didn't, my deepest apologies. Hopefully, I will have you on so that I will learn how to pronounce your name correctly. But this article says a win for Sudan's armed forces, good for democratic transition. And so these two, these two gentlemen here, uh, these two people are basically fighting one another. This and this is one of the reasons why I said in the thumbnail is a tug of war for Sudan. And what does this tug of war mean? It says the battle between warring generals in Sudan must end with return to civilian rule. It says in Sudan, two rivalry security forces turned their guns on each other on April 15th after many months of tension between the two groups. On that date, Sudanese citizens were awakened by gunfire and explosions in the capital of Khartoum. These Sudanese armed forces were engaged in fierce battle with paramilitary known as Rapid Support Force and control of the military facilities, air, I'm sorry, airport and streets in Khartoum. At the center of the conflict are many are Army Chief Lieutenant, Lieutenant General Abdel Fattah Al-Burhan and Mohammed Hamdan the Gallo, also known as Hemedi. Sudan's political insecurity crisis began in April 2019, following months of protests against the country's long-serving dictator, President Omar al-Bashir, and the military seizing control of the country's affairs. Even after Bashir was gone, Sudanese civilians continued with their demonstrations demanding elections to be held and power returned to the civilian government. Four months later, the military ceded power and agreed to power-sharing agreement with civilians, leading the country to an election by the end of 2023. The military, led by Army Chief Lieutenant General Abdul, Abdel Fattah al-Burhan, dissolved the government led by Prime Minister Abdallah Hamduk, replacing the power-sharing agreement. In November 2021, El Burhan was sworn in as head of the new Sovereign Council and was sworn in November 21st, and Hameti was his deputy. So why is this going on? And this is actually gets into it here. So it says, the current disagreement between Sudanese armed forces led by Burhan and the paramilitary force, the rapid support force led by Hameti, stems from how to conduct the transition from a military rule to a civilian government and also how the RSF can be incorporated into the army and the authority that should oversee the process. The army raised the alarm over a possible armed conflict after the RSF deployed troops in Khartoum and other parts of the country without the army's permission. The ongoing conflict in Sudan has raised fears of a full-fledged civil war and the spillover effects that could destabilize the entire region. Sudan's air force power 
was crucial for early stages of the conflict. The rapid support forces targeted airports across the country to ground Sudanese armed forces air operations. While the tactic only has partially succeeded, the RSF's ability to mobilize soldiers from ongoing Chad, from neighboring Chad, makes defeating them in their tribal homeland of Darfur difficult. So this is what's been going on in regards to uh, in regards to what's going on in Sudan. And the problem is, is that you have a lot of people in Sudan, Sudan, is it Sudan or Sudan? I th I'll say Sudan. The problem, you know, with going on with, with the people in Sudan is that they are really caught in the middle of this. And this is reminding you of another country, isn't it? As you think, as the hamster, you know, runs on the wheel, you're now starting to think about, hmm, is there another country that's going on with something like this? Something similar? What country in Europe that's going on with something that's always in the news? Ah, you guys are thinking about the country that starts with a U that rhymes with propane, aren't you? And so a lot of this is really just, you know, two factions going against each other over how to institute a, a civilian government. But is it more than that or is it less than that? So let's go in a little bit deeper. And this says power games and ideological differences. Burhan is Sudan's current head of state and Hamedity is his deputy. The country is being destabilized by the armed conflict between the forces they lead. Both men deposed, I'm sorry, yeah, deposed al-Bashir and disbanded the government led by civilian Prime Minister Hamdok in 2019. The two men battling for control of the country differed in on the restructuring. Burhan prefers that the RSF, led by Hamedi, be brought under the control of the National Army, but the force composed of former Janjaweed mil militiamen wishes to remain independent. Burhan and the army commander at the time, Hamedi, who won the Janjaweed, who won, who led the Janjaweed militia, fought alongside each other against rebels in the Darfur region in the mid-2000s. In the end, the forces committed atrocities and violated human rights in the region. The current clashes have spread to other areas, including Darfur, where two opposing forces are fighting to control of the region. The army launched airstrikes on the RSF positions. So this is really going out of whack, so to speak, uh, in, the, in that region. And so I don't want to read this entire article because... Um, I want you guys to uh, read the article for yourself. Um, this is just a taste of what is in the entire article. There, there's a lot to read in this article, but it's also really good uh, to to get some more context of what's going on in Sudan. So, I'm going to put the link in the chat so you guys can have that as well. But I'm also going to be getting into a couple of clips as well uh, that also explain what's really going on there. 
Good to see Indy left uh, on the Rockfin side. Good to see you. All right. So let's share that. All right. So on to my list. Yes, people, I have a list. I have a list. <laughs> All right, so let's get this going. All right, so let me share my screen. Goku Power Rangers. Okay. In the Sudan, there's no end to the fighting, and it seems no point in declaring a ceasefire either, because the violence just doesn't stop. On paper, the ceasefire is extended on Sunday for another 72 hours, but Sudan's army continues to bomb the capital Khartoum. The armed forces are fighting a paramilitary group called the RSF, Rapid Support Forces, RSF. They're fighting for power. The worst hit is Khartoum, the capital of Sudan, also volatile regions like Darfur. Thousands of civilians have fled to neighboring nations. Some are taking land routes to Egypt or Chad. Others are flocking to Port Sudan at the Red Sea. They're trying to board evacuation ships. Sudan is living through a moment of real terror. I'm talking about dead bodies in the streets. We smelled the dead bodies as we were coming from Khartoum. The firing, the shelling. Sudan is seriously in a state of real war. The death toll keeps rising. The official figure is 500. The United Nations has reported a similar number, but it says the actual figure is most certainly much higher. And this is a conflict that the Sudan can ill afford. It was already among the poorest countries in sub-Saharan Africa. More than 600,000 children were being treated for acute malnutrition here. Now, the fighting has made it worse. The supply of life-saving aid is being disrupted. It's a very difficult situation in Sudan. And it's, it's a, the context is complex in the sense that the scale of this conflict um, encompasses two-thirds of the country, essentially. The dark port Khartoum. So it's a very insecure situation that we're all finding ourselves in, but uh, the work continues. The work is continuing, and we just really pray for, for peace in those conditions to be able to enable even more delivery of services and scale up of those services. She says the conflict encompasses two-thirds of the country. Does this mean the Sudan is facing another civil war? Considering its history, this is definitely possible. The army is led by General Abdel Fateh al-Burhan, the country's de facto ruler. He took power in a coup in 2021. His opponent is a man called General Mohammed Hamdan Dagalo, also known as Hemeti. He leads the paramilitary force called RSF. Now, Burhan and Hemeti were allies during the 2021 coup. But since then, they've fallen out. And now they've taken up arms against each other. What triggered the fight? Well, they couldn't agree on how the country will transition into a democracy and who will control the RSF. How will it be incorporated into the Sudanese army? Ostensibly, this is what the fight was about. But make no mistake, this is a battle for power. As things stand, democracy is not coming to Sudan anytime soon. Burhan has said he will never sit down with Hemeti. Both groups are backed by foreign governments, and they have their own agendas. There have been repeated ceasefires, but they fail to hold. The threat of a civil war looms. 
Did you hear what she said? Both are backed by foreign governments. Of course. Of course. Of course. Why? Are, are, are you surprised? I, I'm not surprised. Are you? I, I'm not. Would you like to know who those foreign governments are? All right. Let's find out. <laughs> Remember that... Um, Remember that uh, the owl, Mr. Owl? Well, let's find out. A one, a two, a three, three. <laughs> Sorry, I just, I couldn't resist. I When I said that, I was just like, you know, that reminds me. Yes, I'm that old. All right. So we're going to listen to a Sudanese man talk about What's actually going on in the region? Let's go ahead and look. All right. Here is why you should care about the fighting that is going on in Sudan. What's happening there is more than meets the eye. And it's time for the world to discuss the actual truth of what is going on there. America and Russia are at it again, just as they did 60 years ago during the Cold War, when they fought proxy wars right in Africa, leading to the death of thousands of innocent Africans. They are at it again in Sudan, fighting a proxy war. Let me explain. Two factions of the Sudanese military are fighting each other. One of them is led by Lieutenant General Mohamed Hamdan, head of the paramilitary group known as Rapid Support Forces. The other faction is led by the Sudanese Army Chief, General Abdel Fattah al-Burhan. So why are they fighting? This is where Russia and USA come into the picture. You see, in the last couple of months, Russia has finalized a deal with Sudan to establish Russia's naval base in Sudan's Red Sea coast. America is not too happy with that. Actually, they're furious. America's ambassador to Sudan, John Godfrey, expressly warned Sudan not to seal that deal with Russia. But they're going ahead and doing just that. And so when the paramilitary unit began fighting the other faction of the army, that wasn't happening in a vacuum. The big problem is that you're not going to hear this in the mainstream media. Neither are you going to hear a lot of African governments voicing this, which is very unfortunate because Africa must learn to speak its truth and stand on this truth because truth will set you free. So it is left to the African people, we the African people, to speak this truth and tell America and Russia to get off Africa, to get their hands off Africa. The days of the Cold War, the days of the shenanigans of the Cold War are completely over and they cannot fight proxy wars in Africa at the expense of innocent African lives. That has to stop. The fighting in Sudan must stop. The puppet masters must stop their evil, diabolic games. Here, he said the 
The puppet masters must stop their evil diabolic games. Puppet masters. As far as the United States, because, well, hell, I live here. From what I observe is that the United States is really the most, the foremost puppet master when it comes to different uh, governments and installing, you know, their own dictators over governments. And the United States has been doing this for, gosh, well over 100 years now. And so with that, is it any surprise to any of you that the United States is involved? Put put a one in the chat if you're actually surprised. Put a put a four in the chat if you're no, you're not surprised at all. You know, because I'm just like, yeah, you're. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not, and so that's why when I first heard this, I was like, of course. Now, what's going on in Sudan is really, uh, uh, you know, a what's really going on in Sudan is really just a big tug of war between two powers. And I want to share um, this tweet as well about what's going on. Yeah, here it is. And the Communist Party of Kenya actually spoke out. And here's what the Communist Party of Kenya says. It says, the statement of the Communist Party of Kenya in support of the Sudanese revolution. There is no future for Sudan divided among the warlords and kleptocracy of generals. And as you see... This basically is a photo of Sudan in crossfire. It says the Communist Party of Kenya stands in solidarity with the Sudanese Communist Party, the Sudanese workers, and the people of Sudan against the ongoing reactionary war. The war is being perpetuated by pockets of the reactionary Sudanese army who sold their souls to foreign capital. These minority sections in the army are now openly mercenaries of foreign governments eyeing Sudanese natural resources. The Sudanese masses will be very unforgiving to them. When the revolution started in 2019 under the leadership of Sudanese Communist Party disguised as Sudanese professionals, its aims were people-centric. The Sudanese masses and the Sudanese Communist Party are determined to advance the pro-people revolution. It's unfortunate that the ongoing and intense violence in Sudan continues to comprise, compromise peace and put the lives of the poor majority at risk. The Communist Party of Kenya supports these revolutions to the hilt. We all know that the civil war in the making will soon change its character to an all-out revolutionary war against the comprador class. The more radical, I'm sorry, the more rational call at this hour of need is the immediate unity of all revolutionary progressive Sudanese forces under the firm leadership of the Sudanese Communist Party. The only route left to victory is the route of permanent resistance against the comprador misrule. 
to compromise with this class will be to auction the Sudanese working class to foreign interests. Any attempt to restore normal life in this interest of capital should be frustrated by the active revolutionary organizations in Sudan. There can never be peace without justice. There can never be peace with the capitalist dictatorship. The march to overthrow the Sudanese reactionary clash should continue. And the final analysis of the people in the people shall win. The anti-people generals and the right-wing militiamen in the streets of Khartoum will be defeated and humiliated. The only war worth sacrificing itself is a class war and not a reactionary war that wants to preserve the predator class among the military to continue to suck the country dry. Today, the Communist Party of Kenya raises the solidarity flag higher in solidarity with the Sudanese Communist Party, the Sudanese workers, and the poor majority in Sudan. The victory is inevitable because only just wars that because the victory is inevitable because only just wars that succeed. Long live Sudanese Communist Party, long live the Sudanese Revolution, long live the heroic Sudanese people, long live solidarity and internationalism. That's from George Kiroy, uh, Secretary of Propaganda and Publicity for the Central Organizing Community of the Communist Party of Kenya. So, so that's what the Communist Party in Kenya is saying. And really, they are close to Sudan, so they see the ongoing uh, issues that's going on there and what's going on so far uh, a lot better than people like, you know, people like myself here are in the United States are seeing. And this has to be um, something that is, sorry. This has to be something that is stopped as far as the conflict between these two generals, because there is something that is dangerous that could happen. And this is something that I found quite distressing. So. The conflict in the Sudan has taken a dangerous turn. A bio lab is caught in the crossfire. Experts call it a potential germ bomb. That's because this lab has disease samples. It stores pathogens related to measles and cholera. There is serious risk of a biohazard. Look at where the lab is situated. Right in the heart of Khartoum, it is surrounded by critical infrastructure. The city's main airport is nearby, also Sudan's military headquarters. It is dangerously close to the lab. The battle is between the Sudan's armed forces and the RSF. It started almost two weeks ago, and it looks nowhere close to the end. So basically, everything can go wrong is going wrong. How would you feel if there was a lab that had infectious diseases in it, and then there were armed conflicts that were happening very close to it? Like, how would you feel? How should the world feel? Right? This is something that really is at the fault of some of these world powers, particularly I have to blame the United States because a lot of times people will expect people like me to go against Russia. And I'm like, yeah, Russia has some bad parts about it too, but I live in the United States. So I'm going to critique my country. 
for perpetuating a lot of the conflicts that happen in these regions. Because why are they perpetuating the conflicts in these regions? I'll get to that in a second. But the problem is, is that they're literally putting people's lives at risk. And the crazy part is you don't hear too many of these many people talking about this in corporate media. Why? Well, any reason? They'll talk about the Ukraine war day in, day out, and then they'll demonize Russia. Yet, look what's happening in Khartoum, in, in, the, heart of, in the heart of Sudan. People are literally getting caught in the crossfire. 500 people hurt or killed because of these two warring uh, generals. Let's continue. Which is why countries are speeding up evacuations. New Delhi launched Operation Kaveri this week. Close to 3,000 Indians were stranded. They're being brought to safety. And in the days ahead, more people are expected to return home. But a lot depends on whether the ceasefire holds and if it can be extended. The conflict... So that's another variable that we're seeing that's going on right now in Sudan that really should be considered as well. And like I was saying, you know, why, why are they, why is there such an interest in Sudan, especially from the United States? Come on, guys, say it with me. Resources. Absolutely. Let's go to Encyclopedia Botanica. Resources and power. This is about Sudan. It says oil is a lucrative natural resource. Let me bring this up. Let me, let me expand this. One, two, three. All right. Under resources and power, oil is a lucrative natural resource. It was first discovered in southwestern Sudan in 1977 and commercially viable find was made in 1980. But the civil war in the south prevented any exploitation of the oil deposits until the late 20th century. Sudan's recoverable oil reserves, estimated at 500 million barrels in the early 1990s, was thought to be between 5 and 7 billion barrels in the early 2010s. Upon the secession of the south in 2011, so you have Sudan and South Sudan, the majority of the oil reserves fell within the borders of newly independent South Sudan. Sudan has other known mineral deposits, but not all are exploited. They are gold, uranium, chromite, gypsum, mica, marble, and iron ore. And it also says, despite the hydroelectric potential, only a small percentage of Sudan's electricity is produced by hydroelectric plants. The Sinar Dam on on the Blue Nile supplies some electricity to the Jazeera scheme and to Khartoum. And hydroelectric dams also have been built in Kashem Al-Kirba and the Atbara River, Al-Rasayaris on the Blue Nile and Miroi on the Nile. Electricity is largely limited to urban areas and generally not is not a common energy resource for cooking. 
paraffin, gas, charcoal, and firewood are the primary energy resources, energy sources to meet either cooking or lighting needs in the country. So when you look at what natural resources are in a country and what's the most abundant oil, gold, uranium, for the most part. Oil, we know what that's used for. Gold, we know what that's used for. Uranium, uranium could be used for nuclear power plants or also nuclear weapons. So, this is why places like Sudan are very important, especially for the interests of the United States, corporate and military interests. Also, Sudan is in the Horn of Africa, which basically is right in the middle of a lot of other countries that are close by, particularly ones like um, like Somalia. So let's go to what the uh, Sud the, the Communist Party of Sudan says. And so this is from uh, Marxist-Leninist Today. Make sure this is big enough so that everybody can see. All right. So this was two weeks ago. It says, the intense violent military clash between the generals of the Security Committee and their forces is exposing the masses of our people to danger and reckless of the counter-revolutionary forces' ambitions and to more bloodshed. The clash is a result of a split between the military and civilian forces that assumed the leadership and rule of the country since the beginning of the revolution in April 2019. The victims of the continuing violence and counter-violence are the people who have been striving for the continuation of the revolution and achieving full democratic civilian power. The way back to normal life begins with an immediate and comprehensive ceasefire. The departure of armies and militias from the cities and villages and keeping them far from citizens' gatherings in towns and rural areas. What's happening now is a continuation of the struggle over power and the country's wealth encouraged by some foreign powers and being carried out by armed groups subservient to these foreign powers, i.e. United States and Russia. These bloody clashes and their continuation is what our party has been warning about. And they are spreading confusion and fear among citizens. In this context, the Communist Party considers it necessary to speed up the disillusion of all militias, collecting the weapons deployed in cities and rural areas, and rebuilding a unified professional national army. The Sudanese Communist Party calls for unity to demand an immediate ceasefire, the exit of armies and militias from cities to save the country from the bloody infighting among the generals. The unity of our people, all the patriotic forces, the forces for radical change and the resistance committees in support of the goals of the revolution and the restoration of peace, security and stability are urgent requirements. It is 
the only basis to end this current crisis, reclaim the revolution, and establish the power of the people. Freedom, justice, peace, I'm sorry, freedom, peace, justice, and civil state is the choice of the people. In this context, the Communist Party calls upon the people to protect the neighborhoods and residential areas. The Sudanese Communist Party also calls upon the people of the world and the democratic and communist forces to raise their banners of solidarity with the struggle of the Sudanese people and to restrain the forces hostile to the glorious December Revolution, Central Committee, Sudanese Communist Party. So that's what they're talking about right now. And so they're basically condemning both sides, both generals, both forces about what's going on in their country because it's literally putting people at risk. And people are constantly having their lives put at risk. Down to this very day, people are, are, are being killed. And so there's another, um, there's another clip that I wanted to share with you guys. And this will be, uh, you know, basically what I've been saying. But I think, he says it, I think he says it a little bit better. Why in the world are you continuously? Just don't play. All right. Cool. Are we cool now? You're not going to play on me, are you? All right. Whew. Jeez, Louise. Technology, I tell you. So let's go. The bitter rivalry between Sudan's de facto leader and his second in command is tearing apart the African nation. But is this just an internal unrest or is it becoming another proxy conflict being fought on behalf of larger interests? We do have uh, deep concern about the engagement of um, the Prigozhin um, uh, uh, group, the Wagner group uh, in, uh, in Sudan. Частная военная кампания под названием Wagner. Will Sudan become the next Ukraine? I'm Shivan Janna. Welcome to Game Plan. Let's get to the point. The current battle in Sudan is between the Sudanese army and the paramilitary. General Abdel Fateh Al-Burhan heads Sudan's army and is also Sudan's de facto leader since taking over the country in 2021. On the other side, we have Mohammed Dagalo, who was Al-Burhan's deputy and who helped him carry out the coup in Sudan in 2021, becoming Sudan's second in command. Dagalo heads Sudan's paramilitary, known as the Rapid Support Forces or the RSF. Now, the two military forces have clashed over a disagreement of merging the RSF with the Sudan army. But is it just that simple? Or are there other interests involved? The United States remains a steadfast partner of the Sudanese people in their pursuit of a civilian-led government. US has long been batting for a civilian government in Sudan to bring peace in the nation. But it's never that simple when it comes to America. No. In 2019, Abdullah Hamdok became Sudan's prime minister. He had full U.S. support, thereby giving U.S. an upper hand in Sudan. Russia decided to increase its footsteps in Sudan and signed a 25-year agreement to establish a naval base in the African nation, allowing Russia 
to simultaneously keep up to four Navy ships, including nuclear-powered ones, in Port Sudan. So, you see that? That's what's going on. And, yeah, neocons all up in Africa putting their stink on it. In exchange, Russia offered to provide Sudan with weapons and military equipment. The agreement, of course, angered U.S. and did not materialize. In October 2021, Sudan's military with Al-Burhan and Dagalo at the forefront came together and carried out a coup and overthrew U.S.-backed Hamdok and took over Sudan. In September 2022, John Godfrey, U.S. ambassador to Sudan, warned Sudan of consequences if it went ahead with the Russian military base at Port Sudan. In December the same year, a political framework agreement was signed in Sudan for restoring a civilian-led government in Sudan, exactly what U.S. had been batting for all this while, which would have perhaps brought back U.S. back Abdullah Hamdok to the fore, giving U.S. an upper hand once again in Sudan. And then in March of 2023, the deal was nearly finalized for a civilian government in Sudan when the violence broke out between the two military leaders in April 2023. So, the United States almost had Sudan back in its clutches. Almost. But now you have two world powers that are really behind just going, no, Sudan is mine. No, Sudan is mine. You know? And it's... It just sucks because, you know, the only people, the only losers really are the people. And so this is why I think it's imperative for us to really change the system here at home so that we can help the people abroad. It's like it's like this. Say for instance you have say for instance you have a somebody that's on a table saw right? And they're getting closer and inching closer and closer to the table saw where they're going to get cut to death, right? And you're way over here and people are stopping you from going to the table saw to turn off the off button. But you look over and you see the plug to the table saw and you run and you try to fight to unplug the table saw to stop it. Because at least if you can't turn the off button over there, you can unplug it from its power source over here. And that's what is so important for us. Unplugging the power source. The power source that pushes, that perpetuates the suffering of other nations. This is why our solidarity among workers in these nations are so important. It's not just the workers that we have solidarity with in Ukraine. 
is not just the workers that we have solidarity with in Russia or China or Burkina Faso or in Vietnam. It's also the workers in Sudan. It's also the working and poor people in South Africa. It's also the working and poor people in Madagascar or in Brazil or in Chile. It doesn't matter is that we have our solidarity and we have our unity with them because these governments, particularly the United States government in particular, always has that buzzsaw that's trying to cut, that's trying to destroy in order for people, for not people, for these corporate dictators to have more power. That's really what it's about. And the only way to stop this buzzsaw from our end is really to pull out that plug. Now, we're going to have resistance for pulling out that plug. But the thing is, is that's the closest to us. That's what we have the most proximity to. And so this is why it's important for us to keep in mind and pay attention to these stories. Because as we pay attention to these stories, we see what's going on here with us domestically, what's going on foreign with uh, other people who are also suffering under the same government that we're suffering under. So this is why it's important for us to constantly battle against what our government is doing really in our name and it takes way more than voting way more voting is the least so this is why when we have you know anti-war rallies things like that hell uh, you know if you know you can join different organizations uh so that you can push for uh, more of a, of a concrete change, more of a systemic change, then that's one of the best ways to do it. Because it's not just us suffering domestically, it's other people suffering internationally in other countries at the hand of the government that supposedly listens to us. So when it comes to trying to help the people in these different regions, the best way that we can help is by changing the system here. The best way to change to help the people in Ukraine is to upend this system here. The best way to help people, especially people in the Donbass, right? The best way to help people in Khartoum and Sudan is for us to change the system here. You want to help the people in Somalia? Let's change the system here in the United States. You want to help the people in Cuba? Change the system here in the United States. It all starts with upending this system that's exploiting them abroad. That's the way I see it. I'm going to be going into the chat. Uh, I'm going to start off in... Let me see, just taking a look at Rockfin. Nobody in Rockfin yet? All right. So I'm going to go to some of the chat right now. Quantum Alchemist says the Darfur crisis was long ongoing and old boy now before the current conflicts. Optimism of the Will says thus far it seems like the biggest losers in Sudan are the civilians. Absolutely. Vicious E says Sudan's long been yet another target of the U.S. Treasury Department's senseless sanctions. 
Abeg says Sudan and Russia make a big, I'm sorry, make a business deal. The puppet master in this case is the evil American empire. Yeah. This is why I put more focus on the United States. Zero Joshua says any society that leaves vulnerable populations out as as our primary resource, our futures has no right to be safe. Wardy says a lot of the mainstream coverage seem to focus on evacuation procedures for those who have citizenship in other countries. Yeah, but the thing is, they're not covering what's in the background as to why this is happening. It's just all it's almost as if it's like, oh, those crazy Africans, they're you know, they're fighting again. So let's just pull our people out, you know, and it's like, well, why are why are they fighting? Who's behind it? And a lot of times people don't want to talk about it because the thing is that it shows that the empire is really what's behind it. Ryan Wagner says, pretty sure they got that battery gold known as lithium also. Yeah. Thank you so much. Name my taco says JB is such a passionate caring person. Oh, thank you. He always knows how to get down to the way people feel. Thank you. Thank you. I try. I appreciate it. Hello, purple philosophy. Purple's a royal color. Optimism on Will says, pull the plug on U.S. imperialism. I want that T-shirt. I should make that into a T-shirt. All right. So, yeah, that's what's going on right now in Sudan. Um. And it's just it's just terrible because the people do not deserve this. And it's always the people that suffer in between. Gosh. Um, Trying to think is there. So, yeah. And just. For a a bit of uh, context as to what's going on, uh, this part is going to be viewer discretion is advised. Yeah. So just in case, if you do not like scenes of war, then you may want to turn away. But just letting you guys know.
I'm turning the sound off because I don't know if this music is copywritten or not, but as you guys can see, this is what's going on in Khartoum um, in Sudan. And this is actually a TikTok video where they're showing what's actually going on. This is why I think apps like TikTok are actually important because it literally showing us things that the corporate media will not show. Uh, and so this is why I, I feel it to be a very important. So. And I just honestly am, I'm honestly irritated and upset because, you know, while I do have a lot of respect for those of us on the left who are speaking out against the proxy war in Ukraine, I think we all need to start talking about the proxy war in Sudan as well. So that's something I think that we need to talk more about. And so if we're going to, you know, talk about proxy wars, a lot of the ones in Africa, we also need to talk about. So it says pray for Sudan at the end. So, yeah, uh, you know, pray for the people in Sudan, you know. That's why I, I just hate people seeing people go through things like that. So this proxy war needs to end. All right, so make sure to also leave a like that you guys like the stream like the stream i forgot to put this up all right so make sure to like the stream please and if you guys have not uh if you guys have not subscribed then please make sure to subscribe you guys can turn that red box to gray for the subscribe and if you guys have not then you guys can go to jb5.substat.com for email notifications because the notifications for youtube are not that reliable so if you guys would like to, you guys can get email notifications. I typically send send out the email notifications about 15 minutes before the stream so you guys can have it. So you guys will not miss my streams or my clips. So thank you so very much as well. And so outside of that, we're going to go into the next topic. And the next topic is... Uber and Lyft strike. We're going to be talking about that, and that's going to be a very interesting. Um, that's that's going to be very interesting. Now, I'm going to say this. Oh, hang on. Uh, Amira Farrier says, "Did you get my cash app?" 
Um, I do not know. Um, I'm checking right now. <laughs> Oh, thank you. Thank you so very much. That's very kind of you. I appreciate it. <laughs> it is the first time I got that on stream. But thank you. Thank you so much, Amir. Much appreciated. Uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, that was very kind of you. Uh, so thank you very much. Um, now... I want to go into what's going on uh, in Orlando. This is the city I live in. Yes, I'm in Orlando, Florida. And let's go to this article first. Yeah. And so this is out of the Orlando Weekly. And let me get into this with y'all. So it says Florida and Uber Lyft drivers launch efforts to organize for better pay, better, better app policies. Now, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I am mad. I am mad at a circumstance. And I'm going to tell you exactly why. Because this stuff happened on Friday. And what happens on Friday? I have dialysis. So... I am wiped out by the time I get home. So I had to sleep. And this was happening while I was at dialysis. And I was so upset. I was like, I wanted to be out there. And so, uh, you know, I'm going to try to keep my ears to the ground so that when this happens again, or if it's still going on, then I'm going to look and see if I can get my behind out there. And I'm not going to take Uber or Lyft because I don't want to break a strike. I may end up having to take a, the yellow cab. Hey. It is what it is. Or if I had to take the city bus, it is what it is. But I'm going to try to get out there to talk to the people out there because this is also very deeply important. And so solidarity with all the, the drivers for either Lyft, Uber, or any of the other rideshare companies because they're really putting you guys through it. But this is out of Orlando Weekly. It says Florida Uber and Lyft drivers launch effort to organize for better pay, better app policies as local rideshare drivers are organizing with a group that has come under scrutiny in the past by some labor activists and organizers. So this actually this actually came out a couple days ago. And it says Uber and Lyft drivers have rallied outside of airports in Orlando, Tampa, and Miami on Friday to launch a campaign for fairer pay distribution and the right to negotiate for things such as better app policies and job protections. Coming on the heels of the killing of an Uber each driver in Pasco County, the organizing campaign for the Independent Drivers Guild is months in the making. According to Uber driver Alberto Perez, I'm sorry, Adalberto Perez, an organizer for the New Florida chapter for the Guild, nearly 100 rideshare drivers, mostly people of color, rallied at Airport Parks Lake as part of a planned work stoppage to formally announce their demands for Uber and Lyft. The two most popular rideshare companies, drivers say, hold on to a bulk of what they charge passengers, forcing drivers to work multiple jobs or work long hours to make ends meet for themselves and their families. So this is from uh, Arifa Tirmizi, says, we work hard for our money. We're immigrants. 
we are fr from the United States, where we are from the United States, wherever you're from. But as humans, we have rights. We work very hard to support our families. And now we're here to make our noise. It goes further, it says the Independent Drivers Guild formed in 2016 is an affiliate of the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers Union. It is not a labor union in the traditional sense, in part because Uber and Lyft classifies its drivers as quote unquote independent contractors and not employees, which affects the rights they're afforded as workers under federal law. The Guild is an organization that comes under scrutiny by some labor organizers was born out of a partnership between machinists and Uber itself. The group describes itself as worker-led and advocates for and represents more than 250,000 app-based drivers across New Jersey, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Illinois, New York, and now Florida as well. According to the organization's website, the Guild's primary aim is to fight for the right to collectively bargain, in addition to securing a living wage for Uber and Lyft drivers and fighting unfair deactivation in which driver is barred from picking up new rides in the ride share app. Uh, so this is one of the pieces that I wanted to get into too. And this really adds the human element. Tunisi, a mother of seven, who drives full-time said one of the challenges with Uber, for instance, is that the labor for the support line is outsourced. You call the number you're given as a driver and end up reaching someone in a different country who reads you a generic script, promising you that the company will accelerate your case with no guarantee when or if you'll soon be able to return to work. And so on top of all of that, the work is also outsourced because why? Because it's cheaper. And it says, and while it is often described as gig work, this isn't just gig for this isn't just a gig for many drivers these days. Many treat it as a full-time job. It says Perez, one of the earliest organizers for the New Florida chapter, uh, says he drives Uber six days a week, often 10 to 12 hours a day. And so with that. You have people constantly being exploited day in and day out. And a lot of times, many of us will use these ride shares in order to get to our own jobs to be exploited. And the fact is, is that it is not fair that these workers are being exploited. And you can't say that, oh, well, it's because, you know, they have more freedom. They don't have more freedom. If they actually did, then they wouldn't ha be having to work 10 to 12 hours a day just to take care of their families. And people will sit there and try to make excuses for people being exploited. No. Even more, I will say this. I think ride shares like Uber and Lyft should be worker-owned. They should. And in fact, they should not be independent contractors because it's like, oh, they got the freedom. Freedom to what? Freedom to not have health care? Freedom to not have, you know, uh, benefits? Freedom to not make a living wage? Is that what is that the freedom you're talking about? Because that's not freedom to me. That's really working under duress. 
And on top of that, you know, you have to take in certain rides, you know, certain rides aren't really, you know, profitable for you because by the time you get there, then you have spent the money in gas to get to that place already. So therefore, you're not really making any money. And then if you got the people who don't tip, well, then you're SOL or if people who tip very low. But then you have to take the ride. You have to pick that person up. And so guess what? If you don't, then they can lock you out of the app from picking up even more people, which means that you won't be able to pick up anybody else. And so this is why these corporations either need to be either nationalized, stationalized, or municipalized, or they need to be worker-owned. Just, just that. Because you cannot sit here and see how these people are being exploited and say, oh, well, that's just a free market. And then when people honestly walk away and withhold their labor and say, well, all right, then we're not going to, if you're not going to give us what we deserve, then we're just not going to work. That's also the free market at work. So guess what? Then why not just give them what they, what they asked for? But then you guys say, oh, nobody wants to work anymore. They do want to work. They just don't want to work for starvation wages. So, I mean, honestly, are you going to do business or are you going to do business? Because people are like, because look, these working relationships it is business. And if you honestly expect people like me and all, all these other people to sit there and go, oh, you know, just work for whatever the hell we give you. No, I'm not going to do that. If you honestly want my labor, then you're going to have to pay dollar for my labor. You're going to give me what I want or else you drive for yourself. You drive, you pick all those people up and you drive them to where they need to go. Go ahead, do it. Jump in your car and pick up all those people and drive them yourself. Man. Sorry, I didn't mean to go on a rant, but you know, these corporations, man, they, they piss me off. They get on my nerves. So here's some of the demands. It says one of the Florida chapter's demands of Uber and Lyft is for better paid distribution. They want drivers to earn 70 to 80% of what the apps are charging riders. I think that's fair. Then Uber and Lyft can see the rest. So yeah, like a 70-30 or an 80-20. I shoot. Look, like let, let me come close to y'all. Look, I'm game for 90-10. I said what I said, 90-10, because who's doing the work? Who's doing the work? 90-10, right? All the app does is just point. Hey, hey, this person want, This person needs a ride. That person needs a ride. Are they are just pointers. That's what they are. So are we sitting here and letting the people who point be the ones that make the most money? Are, are, is that are, are, really? Because the people who have to get the car, have to get maintenance on the car, have to drive the car, have to fuel the car, what are they getting? Chunk change? Are you serious right now? Really? 
And I live in Orlando. And these are the people that are taking you to these big corporations like Disney, Universal, SeaWorld, right? They're taking you to the Orange County Convention Centers. They're taking you to the Aquaticas. They're taking you to the hotels like the Marriott's. They're taking you to these Starwood hotels. They're taking you to all these different places where you all make this big money. And guess what? They they aren't making the bulk of it, even though they're doing the bulk of the work. The person who does the bulk of the work should make the bulk of the money. This is why the workers deserve the surplus labor. Agreed. All right. Perez says it is unfair, not only for the drivers, but for the riders who have to deal with higher fares, especially when prices surge. Plus, riders don't understand that drivers aren't seeing that extra surge fare they're forking over to make it from point A to point B. So it's not just the drivers that are suffering. It's you and me. Right? Because, look, I'll put it this way. The gas prices could drop like a rock right now. Right now. But will the fares drop? Will they? No, even if they drop, they'll do it just by a little, just by a tad, just by a hair. And then they'll say, oh, well, we're dropping our prices because, of you know, the gas prices drop. But in reality, they're not doing it because now they know that you can fork it over. They're going to keep making you pay through the nose just to get it. So instead of taking two hour bus ride for for a ride that really takes only 15 minutes, but it takes you two hours on the bus. They're going to make you fork over out of that money just to drive for 15 minutes. Even though it shouldn't be that much. And then even if it shouldn't be that much, who should get the bulk of that money? It shouldn't be the person who points here, here, hey, 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 right here, right here, right there. No, it should be the person who's actually driving. And then people will go, well, Here's another argument I absolutely I absolutely hate. Sorry, I'm going on another rant. But people will go, well, the owners of the company, they're the ones that, that put out the most risk. Bullshit! They put out the most risk. Bullshit! They don't put out the most risk. Because guess what? The person who owns the company, the biggest risk they have is to become a worker. The biggest risk a worker has is to become homeless, hungry, and have no health care. Who has the big, big, bigger risk? It's the worker. The workers have the biggest risk. Not the owners. Oh, so you actually have to work for a living. Boo-hoo. The people who actually do the job, the people who actually do the most labor, they're the ones with the biggest risk.
And so it's a lot of people who are who are immigrants that are drivers here in Orlando. Says many drivers give speeches in Spanish, but the cohort was diverse. A group of Brazilian, Colombian, Venezuelan, Chilean, Dominican, Haitian, and U.S.-born drivers asking to be afforded a living wage for honest work. So honestly, I also see even more exploitation, exploitation of immigrants. While labor unions in Orlando are alive and winning gains for workers, gig companies like Uber and Lyft have long resisted classifying their drivers as employees, pushing to ensure their drivers remain classified as independent contractors. Since this holds serious weight, unlike employees, independent contractors are not legally entitled to things such as hourly minimum wages, worker compensations, health insurance benefits, or the right to collectively bargain. As the Independent Drivers Guild describes itself as the nation's largest drive-share driver advocacy group, but some labor activists have another term for it. It's a company union. And so a lot of us, you know, are thinking about, like, what in the world, you know, are, um, like, how much money is Uber pulling in? Because they could, they could honestly very well. Um, they could honestly very well just have these people as employees. It's not like they don't make enough. And so I was looking up um, I really want to play this uh, I really want to play this video, but it's through local it's through local news and I don't want to get a copyright a copyright claim. See, it's an ABC affiliate too. And ABC affiliates typically don't. And I'm in Florida. I don't know. Because if I get a copyright claim, then, well, pfft. this video will be demonetized. <sighs> Gosh, this is what I hate about living in this country sometimes. Because it's the news. It's not like, it's like you have a copyright claim on the news. Like, the hell. Um, I'm thinking about I'm thinking about taking that risk. If anything, I could just mute it. Uh. All right. Hopefully, fair use. All right. So let's hope. Some Uber and Lyft drivers turned off their apps and rallied here at Orlando International Airport. Rideshare drivers across the state now demanding higher pay, better working conditions, and a union. Some Which I honestly think that they they absolutely deserve. Actually, I think they deserve more than that. I honestly think that the drivers who actually, well, yeah, I honestly think that the drivers should be, you know, uh, be worker owners. That that's that's what I say. That's just what I think. Demonstrators told Channel 9's Q McRae they currently have no voice with the companies. 
Well, as you can see here behind me, there's easily 60 to 70 rideshare drivers out here right now as they're wrapping up uh, their protests for the day. But the fact that they're out here right now means that they're not behind a wheel and they're not picking up drivers over at OIA. Which costs money for place, you know, companies like Uber and Lyft. And the thing is, is that uh, OIA, the Orlando International Airport, is a massive hub massive hub we have international flights all over the country remember walt disney world is here not disneyland disneyland is, is small walt disney world right massive massive walt disney world universal orlando sea world Then to then you have uh Legoland not too far. You also have Bush Gardens, that's in Tampa. Like this is an entertainment capital. Besides Orlando, then you have places like Vegas, uh, you have LA, as far as entertainment capitals, right? So yeah, just to give you guys a little bit of a, a little bit of a background. That's Orlando. They marched. They chanted. Dozens of rideshare drivers unified. All wanting the same thing. And the right to unionize. This rally is their push to launch the Florida chapter of the Independent Drivers Guild, a union for rideshare drivers already established in several other states around the country. As it so, you know, of course, I always have solidarity with unions, of course. I do have some reservations about union leaders. Um, in fact, Worker Strike Back actually put out a tweet about union leaders and how some union leaders are in cohort cahoots with the corporations that they're supposed to be adversarial towards. And so they will basically work against their own union in order to fight against the union so the union doesn't have that much power. So I think it's very important for union leaders also to be with their rank and file. So that's one of the things that I think. And I also think that beyond unions is more worker ownership. And if you guys uh, are watching me on RBN, you guys would have saw that I actually talked about what is an employee stock ownership plant program where they call employees owners and I put that in air quotes whereas you have a worker co-op which is a democratic say in how your workplace operates if you guys would like to you guys can go to the JB show on RBN I actually talked about that I should talk about that on here on this channel too I'll probably talk about it on this channel too just to you know um just in case there's any people who you know have not seen it on RBN but yeah if you guys would like to I actually talked about that a clip came out a couple days ago on RBN as well, me talking about it. But this is very important. But this is why I am more for worker ownership, because it literally democratizes the workplace. And democratizing the workplace is furthering democracy within our country. See, a lot of times people, you have some people who go, oh, we don't need democracy in the workplace. And I'm like, so you're not, a, you're against furthering democracy? Please tell me more. So.
Ba has been a driver for Lyft and Uber for more than a decade. For far too long, drivers have been working really hard, putting their heart and soul into this industry, making these app companies billions of dollars. Hang on. It's hard to believe that, wait, Uber and Lyft have been around for over 10 years? It's been that long? Really? I didn't... It doesn't feel like it's been that long, has it? I feel like it just started. But, all right. Let's continue. Yet they are taking chump change at home. As union members, they hope to negotiate fair pay, app policies, and job protections with Uber and Lyft directly. Currently, rideshare drivers in Florida have no voice with the app companies over even basic things like pay and how much the app companies take in fees from each fare. So drivers are fed up, they are upset. They gave us like $132 just to go to Miami. That's three and a half hour drive. And that's ridiculous, yeah. And they charge the dri uh, the passengers about maybe three or $400. Drivers are demanding. Yeah, yeah. If, look, if you're, if you're, yes. And they will go long distances. You know, it's three and a half hour drive to Miami. Crazy part is I've never been to Miami before. But anyway, but yeah. It's like 300 bucks to go to Miami on Uber. Meanwhile, you could go, you can get on Megabus and probably go to Miami for $80, $90 on Megabus. It might be a little bit higher now because of the gas prices, but you just have to sit on a bus with a bunch of other people. It's not private. So. And then they're not charged, and then they're not giving the bulk of the money to the driver. That's the that's the biggest problem. A living wage with gas prices and other expenses skyrocketing in Florida, drivers' pay has not kept up, and drivers are struggling to make ends meet. I think it's horrible, and they're they're being greedy. This is time for change. This is time for them to have a seat at the table to talk about their working conditions. Now, these Uber and Lyft drivers tell me they're not done. They're going to continue to push and fight until they are officially members of the Rideshare Driver Union. So, yeah, um, that's what's going on with them. Uh, let, let's also get into the, the dollars and cents of it all because I wanted to you guys to see, like, how big Uber and Lyft are really in the United States. Uh, let me see. I know I have. Okay. All right. So this is out of the New York Times. It says Uber reports record revenue as it defies economic downturn. Says the company, which hit a hard, which which was hit hard in the early stages of the pandemic, saw revenue jump forty nine percent from the same period a year ago. And this was a couple months ago. It says Uber indicated on Wednesday that it had staved off a downturn that 
hit many technology companies while posting what Dara Kashro Shahi, Kashro Shahi, Uber's chief executive called this company's strongest quarter ever. Uber reported $8.6 billion in revenue in the last three months of 2022, a 49% increase from the same period a year ago when the variant of the CV damper travel. I have to be careful what I say. The company made $30.7 billion in gross bookings, the amount of money paid by customers, a 19% year-over-year jump. The company said it had tallied 2 billion trips in a quarter for the first time, up from $1.7 billion a year ago, and saw an 11% increase in the number of customers who use Uber each month to 131 million people. 131 million people. That's almost half this country. Says results slightly exceeded the expectations of Wall Street analysis. Says even as other tech companies like Google, Meta, and Microsoft have announced widespread layoffs and slashes, Uber's business has stayed relatively steady. And Mr. Kawashahi said last month at the World Economic Forum in Davos that he is not anticipating company-wide layoffs. So it is crazy how much they are making. They're raking in profits. And let's get into also the compensation of the CEO of Uber as well. Because these CEOs are making out like bandits. Let's go to the Google machine. Google machine. $24.3 million. Uber Uber CEO Dara Kawashali. Lord. Kashro Shahi. Kashro Shahi. Sorry saw an increase in his pay package in 2022. Uber Technologies Incorporated Chief Executive Dara Kashoshahi total compensation last year rose 22% to 24.3 million, the company disclosed Tuesday. So $24.3 million on top of it all, right? And this is just one thing to always look for. Never look for... Uh, employees, I'm sorry, CEO salary, always look up CEO compensation because this includes salary, stock holdings, things like that. Because they will not tell you all, it, it, just seeing, seeing the salary will not tell you the entire story. So there's that. And then also, let's go after Lyft. So this is out of Bloomberg. It says Lyft, stump, Lyft tumbles as profit outlook misses Wall Street uh, estimates. And so it says Lyft Incorporated shares sank after giving, sorry, after giving an earnings outlook that significantly missed the analysts' estimates as it prepares to sacrifice profits in a bid to attract riders with lower prices. So they're trying to be the more prop, the more um they're trying to be more affordable i should say ride share and uber but they're screwing over their workers too says the company projects 
adjusted earnings before interest tax depreciation and, and amortization in the current quarter of 5 million to 15 million missed and the 86.3 million at, at average estimate in a Bloomberg survey. Lyft reported just uh, adjusted EBTIA, I'm sorry, EBITDA with a loss of 248 million during the final three months of 2022. It says San Francisco based company attributed the loss to a regulatory disclosure change, which requires companies to count insurance reserves, cash set aside to pay for claims and other insurance expenses. So, you know, they're making a lot of money. It says live projection for revenue of 975 million in the current period also fell below expectations. But that's almost a billion dollars that they're making. It's a lot of money. Uh, and that's what that's what Lyft. And then also let's look at the Ah, here we go. The Lyft CEO. And this is out of salary.com. You can look this up. It says chief executive and co-founder of Lyft, Logan Green, made $13,909,482 in total compensation. So $13 million. $13.9 million. Almost $14 million. And so, but what about the drivers? Like he's making all this, comp, this, this, uh, he's making all this compensation, but the drivers who are really the ones behind it all, the labor, they're not getting anything. People wonder why I'm a socialist. Jeez Louise. Now, I'm going to head to the chat really quick. Uh, Let me see. Uh, thanks, Purple Philosophy says. Purple Philosophy says I love everyone on RBN, but it seems like JB is hit the hardest when it comes to subs, and that doesn't make sense for the fact that RBN has over thirty thousand. Um, I don't know. Look, uh, I I started my channel like doing this type of format and news. Um. in november of 2021 and so it it's just ah, it's just about how many people pay you attention it's about you know people you know putting me out there you know in social media sharing my videos things like that and also i typically do one to two streams a week i'm not as frequent as other channels right and so i would like to be like for instance my goal for this month of may to be in within two weeks to be at three thousand subs i'm at three thousand six hundred sixty eight right now i'm at two thousand six hundred sixty eight right now which means i need about 
342 subs. So 342 subs short, shy of my goal. Even if I don't get there, I'll still be happy because I'm I've gotten more subs than what I've had before. But at the same time, um, my goal is really to just get the, the these points out there from a from a perspective that I have. And a lot of people don't hear from people's perspective. Like I wear a few hats. I wear the uh, I wear the disabled hat. I wear the black hat. I wear the gay hat. You know what I'm saying? And I wear the poor hat. So I wear all these different hats. And so I try to come at it from that perspective, as well as being a socialist on the left. And so that's why, you know, uh, I don't know, you know, but hopefully, you know, I'll get more, you know, people that will watch and hear from my perspective. And, you know, but at the same time, I realize that I'm not for everybody and that's okay. You know, uh, and this is why I have cross pollination and unity with a lot of different people, even some people who I may have some disagreements with, because the important piece is actually getting this type of information out there. And maybe just maybe something the way I say it or how I say it or what I say or what I choose to cover may end up helping other people that people just don't realize or see. Like, for instance, a lot of people who are disabled, a lot of people aren't, aren't talking about them. And so which is why I want I, I kind of want to do a disability panel. Um, I got to reach out to people who I've done with on RBN. Uh, I want to do a disability panel as well. And I also want to do a panel on this channel. Uh, and I want to talk to people who are either Puerto Rican or from the island of Puerto Rico. And I want to talk to them about the things that they would like to do. And I know that there are the new young lords. I would love to talk to them. Uh, I, I follow them on TikTok and they do some great uh, content on TikTok. And I also follow them on Instagram, but they're also doing some great work too, especially with organizing their communities. And I would love to talk to them because the, the Young Lords are a Puerto Rican anti-capitalist, anti-imperialist group. And I would love to talk to them about their thoughts about, you know, what's going on in the United States and how, you know, uh, they are being exploited even as a, a colony, basically. And I would love to talk to them. But but yeah, so I, I appreciate, you know, you looking out for me, you know, but hopefully, you know, if you guys like the stream, that helps. <laughs> so thank you so much. Thank you for the super chat. Reality Revolution. Good to see you. I'm late, but I had to say great job bringing it home to climate comatose population the other day. Oh, thank you so much. Much love for the passion of your conscience. Thank you. Thank you. That means a lot. Yep. X says, hello, JB. This is completely unrelated, but can RBN do a discussion on the ICC is corruption and bias as well as the ICC should be abolished? I'm doing a reading on the matter myself. I mean, I can bring that up to, to them and see. But thank you very much, the ICC. <laughs> what? <laughs> Bad Cookie said JB is a left version of Chink Uger. <laughs> Of course, of course. Tick 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 titties tick. Be stopped. Oh my goodness. But yeah, so let me continue with the zit chat. Hey, Miss Alita. Bonjour. 
you all that would be a cool employee owned service in the usa oh michelita by the way um how are things going in france let me know in the chat let me know because i know france is good <laughs> mayday was mayday in france they were they were mayday you know what i'm saying <laughs> you know i should say that more often mayday they were mayday and they were made god damn over there <laughs> i'm telling you i was just like good lord but you know what? I should check on see how Mayday went in African countries too. Huh. I really should check on that. I just thought about that just now. God, you know what? I love y'all. Because you guys just bring out some of the ideas. You guys just drag these ideas out of my head. And I was just like, wait a minute, let me think. Let me think about that. Mayday in front in, in, in African countries. I wonder, I wonder how their Mayday marches have gone. Gotta look into that. I'm looking into that. I love y'all. <laughs> All right. So let's go back to the chat. The jam mom, don't bring any barbecues around here. Everything smells like bacala. <laughs> what? <laughs> All right. Uh, let me see. Cobra Commander says, I don't know why people don't engage for JB as much as others. The only thing I can think of is because he's openly LGBTQ. There isn't another reason why it should be different for JB. Oh, I don't know. Many people have different views. Uh, I think one person commented on an RBN uh, stream where they said that they thought that I was a little too dramatic. Um I guess I have a, I guess I have an affinity for the theatrics, um, but it all comes from a place of you know love and care for the people. Um, I hope that you know, but like I said, I'm not for everybody, and I realize that. I used to be that type of person that wanted everyone to like me, and then I realized, and <laughs> funny enough, I actually realized this from Whoopi Goldberg of all people. Uh, she said that no matter what you do in your life, you will realize ultimately that not everybody's going to like you. And you have to be comfortable with that. And I think I'm comfortable with that now in my life. You know, I'm damn near 40 now. And so I realize that I'm not going to be for everyone. But even if that's the case, I want everyone, and I mean everyone, to have a life that is full of joy and happiness. That means that you have your housing, healthcare, food, education, a clean planet. You also have democracy in the workplace, if that's where you choose to go. And you also have public safety and it's not at risk constantly by law enforcement, really what laws are they enforcing, dr draconian laws. And you're not constantly being afraid. And I don't like that. And so, yeah, that's what I want. Even if you don't agree with me, even if you hate my guts, I still love you. Even if you hate my guts, I still love you. I still love humanity as a whole. I mean, I love the things about you that make me dislike you. But I have to love you because if I want the best for humanity, I have to. What am I to do? 
You know what I'm saying? We're all in this. We like all of you are my cousins. All of you. We're all family in some way, shape, or form. So yeah. Uh, Janice, hey, Janice says. Janice says, "I had a right wing Trump supporter compliment your authenticity and perspective when I shared you." Oh, thank you, thank you so much. Wow, everybody's giving me some love today. That's it's lovely. Thank you. Um, I'm trying to find comments on the on on the last bit of the uh, of the story. Gamer for Life says the French people are leading by example. Uh, Michelita says they, the French citizen, are smashing the larger cities. Good vibes. Good, good, good. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear. Um, I, I, I just hope that a lot of people. <laughs> I'm trying to be serious. Yep, X. Stop it. I'm trying to be serious right now. I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be like. You know, I'm trying to be straight and not straight and narrow, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, he said, JB is a hunk of velvety chocolate goodness with a dose of element flair, energetic flair. Goodness gracious, it's you guys. Um, but thank you so much. Um, now I'm trying to see. Yeah, so. Just be careful, you know, um, with you know your you know your workplaces, and try to try to talk to your fellow workers about these things. Always start off with you know how they're doing in their lives, despite the political regime that is in power. Make sure to always show solidarity with them, even if you have some disagreements. People will respond more better and kind when they know you care. And how do you show them that you you care? You display it and mean it. Don't just say, how's the kids? No, really mean how's the kids. When they talk about their kids, Pay attention to what they say and then be like, oh, well, you said this, you know, you said your kid was having this issue in school. How are they doing now? Are they doing okay? Are they doing better? Or then it's like you hear their kids having, I don't know, they're having a science project on the planets and, you know, you're like, oh, yeah, I got to get some styrofoam balls in order to, you know, show the planet. Hey, if you already have some or if you know where to get some, then shoot, show up to work with some styrofoam balls. And be like, hey, I, I remember you talking about your kid having a science project, so here you go. It doesn't have to take a lot. But showing solidarity with people doesn't mean that you automatically agree with every single thing, you know, but you want them to have a better life, even if you have disagreements with them. I think that's the point. And so showing solidarity with the people, like, for instance, the Lyft and Uber drivers that are going on strike, you know, do what you can for them, even if it's sharing stories like this, you don't even have to share my channel, just share, you know, just go into the, the, the description and go to the links and share those links. I don't care if you don't share from me, just share the links, right? Same thing with the people in Sudan, share the links 
you know, and talk about what's going on in Sudan. We talk a lot about European countries a lot, but let's start talking about some of the African countries and then also some of the South American countries and even countries that are in, you know, in, in Asia that we don't really talk about that much. Let's start talking about, you know, what's going on in Indonesia. Let's start talking about what's going on in Bangladesh. Let's start talking about what's going on in, uh, in Sri Lanka, places like that, and Pakistan. You know, let's talk about these different countries that don't give as much uh, play within, even in independent media. Because the thing is that they have people in them and their lives matter too. This is the point is that, and like I said, we are all related. Whether you go at it from an atheist standpoint or a spiritual or theist standpoint, we are all related no matter what. And so I think that's the important point. And so when I talk about stories like what's going on in Sudan, if your heart is hurting from hearing the story, that's a positive thing because that means that you care about the people. No, you know, even though you're nowhere near them. See what I mean? If you're getting upset and angry for the Uber and Lyft drivers that have to go on strike in order to show that these corporate dictators should not be exploiting them, if you're upset and angry about it, that's a good thing. Because that means that you care about your fellow people who you may have your own car and you may not even need this ride sharing app at all. But the thing is, is you're upset because you do not want to see other people exploited. And that shows what's in your heart. That shows that you care about humanity as a whole. You may, you know, disagree with me about not being in the Democratic Party, and that's okay. You may disagree with me. I mean, disagree about leaving the Democratic Party, and that's okay. You may disagree with me about certain other niche issues, and that's okay too. But the ultimate goal is you want everyone to have freedom to express who they are as long as it doesn't harm others. And that's that's where it all falls. So, yeah. You know, and I will openly and continuously express my solidarity with not only people who are workers, but also people in various different marginalized communities. I'm a black man. I'm definitely going to do, you know, speak out of, you know, for black people across the diaspora. I also have solidarity with brown people, whether it's indigenous people, whether it's people in, you know, Asia and the Pacific whether it's my Latino people, also including and not only limited to also white people, especially poor working white people that are also going through it because you guys are being caught in the crossfire against the system that perpetuates homophobia, transphobia, uh, xenophobia, racism, white supremacy. You guys are also caught in the crossfire. And it's not fair to you. Right. So, yeah. Just love people. That's all I have to say. But, yeah, so uh, I went on, you know, that little bit of a tangent. But I just wanted to, you know, say those things because I think it matters.
And I, you know, and I want you guys to know that you matter too. You always matter. And it's, you know, don't let anybody tell you otherwise. And the reason why we fight about these things is because you matter just as much as anybody else. And don't let anybody else tell you otherwise. Because it's true. Girl, you know it's true. Oh, oh, oh. I love you. All right. Shout out to Indy Left. Dave Burt says, nice to see JB today. Good to see you, Dave. Dave also continues, says, good to see JB speaking the word here. Thank you so very much, Dave Burt on the rock. All right. Now, I got to get going because our brother is hungry than a mug. Also, be sure to tune in later this week. I'm going to be getting into laziness does not exist, but Dr. Devon Price, can you feel me, people? So I'm going to be getting into that chapter two, right? Also, I'll be getting into Asada Shakur's autobiography. Be sure to be there or be square. I'll be getting into chapter 12. Absolutely, people. I cannot wait to get into more of this book. Solidarity with Miss Asada Shakur. Really should be Dr. Asada Shakur because, <laughs> you, you know, you put some stank on that book. I'm telling you. Uh, Miss Asada Shakur. If you ever see this, solidarity with you and love. Um, now, did you guys like the stream? I hope you did um, because that means a lot. Appreciate it. Also, Substack. If you guys would like to, go to Substack. Go to jbfont.substack.com, right? And then you guys can get email notifications for my streams. So thank you so very much for this. And thank you so much to all the patrons on Patreon as well as members. Yes, I do have memberships. And thank you to the patrons on Coffee as well. For without you guys, I would not be able to do this. This means the world to me. And I'll be able to come before you every single day and sing in your ears. Hopefully, I don't make your ears bleed. <laughs> All right, people. I'm going to head out. But uh, thank you so very much. Oh, by the way, the Sabby and JB show will be tonight. I will be on there with Sabby. Uh, so we're going to have some conversations. We're going to be talking about some deep things. By the way, just to give you guys a little bit of a, of a of a preview, we're talking about the black church. Yeah, it's going to be good. So be sure to be there. Be square. All right. And like I always tell all of you, all right, water your plants, water yourselves. Leave the world better than you found it. Smoke them if you got them. Drink them if you got them. If you ain't got them, then watch something funny. Laugh. Because joy is revolutionary. Mwah. Forehead kisses. And solidarity with the striking workers. And solidarity with the Sudanese people. Love you. Bye.
Thank you.